praise God, and uh, it's very good to see you here. Thank you so much, uh, Brad and Sarah, for inviting me back, and it's always a thrill, and I'm really looking forward to doing these Wednesday night classes with you, and um, I think it'll be really exciting. So if you haven't signed up, uh, make sure you sign up, and uh, we're going to have a great time together, and hopefully uh, we're going to get more out of God's Word. Amen? Uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn me to the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 23, if you can't find it, come and do the course. Uh, Psalms, uh, Psalm uh, 23, uh, if you've just uh, stolen a, a Gideon's Bible from a hotel, I'm sure uh, it will open straight to it. Uh, Psalm uh, 23, if you've been to a funeral recently, you've probably heard this psalm, uh, Psalm 23, says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters, restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yay. 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 Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever house. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just ask and pray that you will just release a spirit of encouragement in this place. I thank and praise you for the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably you already knew that psalm. Uh, for most people, for a lot of people, it's actually their favourite psalm in the entire Bible. I like Psalm 23, but to be honest, it's not my favourite. I've got a few others that I actually like better. I like Psalm 103 a whole lot better. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, forget not all his benefits. I like Psalm 103 better than I like Psalm 23. I like Psalm 1 as well. It says, whatever, a man do- whatever the man does, he prospers. I like Psalm 1 a whole lot better than I like Psalm 23. I like Psalm 37. Bible says in Psalm 37, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I like Psalm 37 a lot better than Psalm 23. To be honest, Psalm 23 might not even be in my top 10. I reckon if we just made one minor adjustment, I'd like a Psalm 23 a whole lot better. Like seriously, if we just removed verse 4, Psalm 23 would be amazing. I mean, let's read it without verse 4. Let's see how this grabs you. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside the still waters. Restores my soul. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that a whole lot better? Isn't that much nicer? If we just remove verse 4, Psalm 23 would be so much better. But the problem is, it's in there. And the reason why it's in there is because Psalm 23 encapsulates what life is like. The reality is that as you serve the Lord, no matter what's going on, occasionally from time to time, you might find yourself in the midst of a valley. 
Every single one of us at some point in our time, in our life, will find ourselves at some point in the midst of a valley, a situation you would prefer not to be in, a situation which might find yourself feeling a little bit lonely, a situation where things are are being difficult and they're not going your way. The reality is it's unavoidable, it's a part of life that from time to time, occasionally, we might find ourselves in the midst of a valley. When we do that, there are some things that we need to keep in mind. That if we ever find ourselves in the midst of a valley, there are some things we need to keep in mind as we're going through one. So today I want to talk to you about four things you need to keep in mind if you find yourself in the midst of a valley. Four things you should keep in mind if you find yourself in a situation that you didn't expect, that might disappoint you a little bit, a situation which you would prefer not to be in, four things you need to keep in mind if you find yourself in the midst of a valley. And we can see all these things in Psalm 23. Uh, First thing it says is this in verse 4. He says, Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yay. The first thing we need to keep in mind when going through a valley is, number one, most likely it's no one's fault. You know, it doesn't say here that I was following the shepherd, doing everything he wanted, then I was disobedient, and because I was disobedient, I found myself in the midst of a valley, but then God recorrected me. It doesn't say that. It says, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters, restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. How do I end up in this valley? He hadn't done anything wrong. But the reality is there is times when we end up in valleys where it's actually no one's fault. It's just a part of life. And one of the worst things you can do is beat yourself up over about it and apportion blame. One of the worst things you can do if someone is in a valley themselves is to start blaming them for it. Because there are occasions from time to time when we are in a valley and it's actually no one's fault. There's a book of the Bible which I would prefer was not in there. It's called Job. I would prefer for Job not to be in the Bible. But the reality, reality is, it is. The Bible says that Job was the most righteous man on the face of the earth. And the devil wanted to test him. And so God allowed the devil to test him to prove how righteous Job actually was. And he went through this very difficult period of, of, of life. He lost his children. Uh, he, um, you know, started getting boils all over his body. Uh, and, you know, he lost his property. All these things started happening in his life. And so he was in the midst of that difficult time. And he had a number of, well, loosely called comforters come to hang out with him and to try and comfort him. And after a period of silence, they started speaking to, the, to him and they said, Come on, Job, fess up. What you do? You must have done something wrong. Because God wouldn't let you go through a difficult time like this unless you did something wrong. Job said, I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, well, there you go, see, pride. You must have done something wrong because God would not let you go through a tough time unless you'd done something wrong. But we read through the book of Job and realise Job didn't do anything wrong. He suffered because he was righteous. When I first became a Christian, I just thought I would have the Christian life sussed. And that was, all you've got to do is this. Do whatever God tells you to do and everything's going to be perfect. There's going to be no problems. And I remember one time when I was at Bible college, 
I woke up one morning and there was this phrase going around in my mind. And the phrase was hot tub religion, hot tub religion. And I thought, hot tub religion, what does that mean? And, and so uh, that day I was actually working at a Christian bookstore. It's called Word Bookstore uh, in Sydney. I was working there. So I drove to work that day. I worked at Word Bookstore. And then at lunchtime I went out the back to the tea room. And, and um, on the table there's just a bunch of books that have to go get put out on the shelves. And I went out the back and on the, this, on the top of the pile of these books was a book called Hot Tub Religion by a theologian named J.I. Packer. And I thought, guess I better read it. So I opened it up and read it. And basically it's by this theologian, J.I. Packer, who says that in the West we kind of perceive that the height of spirituality, the height of God's perfect will, is when everything is going perfect, where everything is super comfortable, where everything is just like a great big hot tub when nothing goes wrong. And he says, but scripture's not like that. And life is not like that. The reality is from time to time, as we go through life, we have challenges, we have difficulties, and we have trials. So if you find yourself in the midst of a trial, the worst thing you can do is start looking around for who to blame. Think when you're in the midst of a trial, instead of wasting your time, just think to yourself, it's no one's fault. The second thing we need to keep in mind is this. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I walk through it. He doesn't say, I'm walking to the valley. He says, I'm walking through it. What does that mean? The second thing you need to keep in mind is it's not forever. It's not forever. That if you find yourself in a difficult time, in a difficult situation, that doesn't mean that's going to be the end of you that actually you're going to be going through it and you're supposed to keep on going to the other side. So the worst thing you can do when you're going through a valley is throw your hands up in the air, start blaming God, sitting down, sucking your thumb, that actually we need to just keep on going and keep on doing what God has called us to do. Persistence is one of the keys to, um, to living in the will of God. In fact, that word valley that we interpret valley is probably not the most correct translation of that word. A more appropriate translation of that word is the word ravine, ravine. So when I think valley, I think the sound of music, you know, with, you know, you know, these rolling hills and valleys and that sort of thing. That's not what this is. This is a ravine. There's one way in and there's one way out and it's narrow. And the only way you're going to get out the other side is if you keep on walking and you don't quit and you don't stop. You might be in the midst of doing something God has called you to do and things have started going wrong. That's not necessarily a sign to quit. That actually we're supposed to persist and to keep on going till we get out the other side. I was um, used to be a Bible college principal, started a Bible college here in Brisbane, uh, and it's, uh, it's now called IC College. Uh, used to be called, when we started it was called Planet Shakers College. And I remember the second year that we um, had college, uh, what we, we had orientation week. And what we do at orientation week is that we just um, have the students come in and, uh, we, you know, we prepare them for the year ahead. So they came into the chapel. And what we do is always start off, the first thing we do is a chapel service. So without doing any announcements or anything like that, we do a chapel service because we want, to, want it to be that the first thing we do for the year is give God glory. So invite the students into the chapel and we say to them, okay, guys, 
Uh, welcome to uh, college for this year. Uh, before we get into preparation for the year, we're just going to praise and worship God. So why don't you stand to your feet? And, so I'd get them to stand to their feet. And, and we'd have our band playing and it was a you know, fully loaded band and it was really loud, Pentecostal. And, and so I remember uh, the, guitar, you know, the guitarist and drummer started on the first song. And as soon as I heard that, I, as soon as they did that, I heard this voice from behind me say, oh my Lord. I turned around there's a 17-year-old girl from the Salvation Army with her fingers in her ears. She was freaking out. And we had a number of Salvation Army students, but most of them were spirit-filled and they had come because they'd been to Planet Shakers Conference, which used to run in Brisbane. But she did had not been to anything Pentecostal in her life. And she went to a very conservative Salvation Army church where they still did the tambourines and all that sort of thing. And so... And so she was just coming because her friends were coming. And so she comes up. Uh, she's there with her fingers in her ears. And I turn around and look at her and I thought, oh, I don't know how long she's going to last. And so you could tell all through the you know, first few weeks of lectures, her buttons were getting completely pushed. You know, and she was the kind of girl that didn't have a whole lot of filters. So you could see exactly everything she was thinking. And so I remember in some of my lectures, because we're teaching Pentecostal theology, and we're sitting there and, and I'm, te- I'm preaching and teaching, and I could see her face and she's like kind of screwing up and she's getting angry and that sort of thing and upset. And, and after a couple of weeks... She comes up to me at the end of uh, one of my lectures and she said, Pastor Ben, can I talk to you? I said, no worries, what's going on? She comes up and we sit down on the side and she goes, and, and she just started crying. I said, you hate it here, don't you? She goes, yes, I hate it. I said, everything's pushing all your buttons, isn't it? Yes, it's pushing all my buttons. I said, you want to leave, don't you? Yes, I want to leave. And I said, so are you? She goes, no. I said, hold on, hold on. You hate it. Yes. It's pushing all your buttons. Yes. You want to leave. Yes. But you're not going to. No. I said, why is that? She goes, this little 17-year-old Salvation Army girl. She goes, well, God told me to come and always do what God tells me to do. I said, you, my dear are going to be a champion. You have figured out one of the keys to fulfilling one's destiny. And so then she stayed on. She got filled with the Holy Spirit at camp that later that year and got delivered of a whole lot of stuff. Then she started, you know, at Salvation Army Rally, she started getting in trouble because she started getting up and giving prophecies and words of knowledge and <laughs> that sort of thing. And then she was a part. And then her and her husband were, um, you know, ran a... Um, ran a, a Salvation Army church up in central Queensland after that. We're going through it. We're not just going, it's not forever. It's just a season. Just keep on going. Keep pushing. Because eventually you're going to come out the other side. The third thing that we need to remember is this. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, The shadow of death. When you're in a valley, you look like you're going to die. But you're not. It's not actually death. It's just a shadow. It looks like death, but it's not. 
You've got to survive. So the third thing you need to keep in mind is this. It's not fatal. It's not fatal. Sometimes we go through things and it feels like it's killing us. But it's not actually going to kill us. We're going to survive. We're going to actually going to come out the other side. In fact, if you look at a lot of people in the scripture who God used mightily, very often they went through a difficult season before they stepped up for the fulfillment of their destiny. That in some ways, it was almost part of God's preparation process. When God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, if you look on a map, he almost took them out of their way to go through a wilderness experience before actually stepping into the promised land. Now, they weren't supposed to stay in the wilderness for the 40 years that they did. It was supposed to be a much shorter time, but because they stopped walking, they ended up staying there. But the thing is this, that God was going to use that as part of God's preparation. I mean, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, it says, we glory in tribulation. What kind of fool glories in tribulation? Because of what it produces. It says we glory in tribulation because tribulation produces perseverance. So the response is supposed to be keep going. Perseverance, character. So watch this. Character isn't a gift. I wish it was. I'd love to pray and say, Lord, give me the gift of character. Bang, you've got character. That's not how it works. Character is actually formed. How was it formed? By persisting through tough times. So in, in a way, some of the things we go through is part of God's way to burn stuff off us. You feel like you're going to die, but there are parts of you that do die. But they're the things that he doesn't want you to take to the next level that he's got for you. Because it's part of God's preparation process. If you looked at verses 5 and 6 of Psalms, it's way better than verses 1 to 3. But you've got to go through a valley to get there. And in the same way, we need to persist and keep on going. We might feel like we're going to die, but we're actually going to live. And we're going to come out more prepared for what God has for us. Because Romans 5, 3 to 5 says this. We glory in tribulation. Tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. That phrase, doesn't disappoint, is a double negative. It means hope appoints. What does that mean? It means we're prepared for the divine appointment that God has for our life. And we get there by just continually persevering, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of difficulty, we persist. When I was a youth pastor, uh, my wife and I, we, uh, we moved to Mackay, North Queensland, and we were both the youth pastors there. And, uh, but I don't like giving her the credit for the first year because it was a bad year. And because uh, I remember the first year, um, we went over there, and I think I've told you this story before. We took on a youth group of 22 kids, which was awesome. Made us the second biggest youth group in the city. Uh, and, and then by the middle of the year, due to uh, my incredible leadership and vision, uh, the youth group grew down to six. And, uh, and I remember at the end of that first year, I thought, I was a full-time, full-time, fully paid youth pastor, and I had decimated our youth group. 
And I remember my first year, uh, at the end of my first year, it's, you know, it's kind of like my job review for the year with my senior pastor. And I thought, this is it. I'm cooked. I'm done. You know, I'm going to get kicked out. And we sat down and he looked at me and he goes, oh, he goes, that wasn't a bad year. I said, you're kidding me, aren't you? You've paid me full time and I've nearly destroyed the youth group. He goes, oh, yeah, I know. But I know when you got here, you were telling everybody you're going to have 100 in the youth group by the end of the year. He goes, but to be honest, I'm glad you didn't. I said, why? He goes, because if it did, we wouldn't be able to fit your head through the door. (laughs) He said, so don't worry about it. Keep going. I'm not going to sack you. And we continued on. And then from then on, our youth youth ministry went phenomenal. And by the time that we left, that's when youth, that's when Trish came on and made things happen. And, and by the time that we left, you know, the church was getting about 300 on Sunday. We were getting 250 in our youth group. And youth was doing absolutely phenomenal. But it never really got into your heart because of the, some of the tough times that we'd been through before. Does that make sense? It's part of God's preparation process. Um, I told you last year, our house got flooded in the Brisbane floods of 2011. Got a double-storey house by the banks of the Brisbane River and across the road from where we live is a fence and then there's a 20-metre drop down to the Brisbane River and second week of January it rose to the point where it went a metre and a half through the second storey of our house. And um, that year was, you know, full on and and that water was was gross. Um, If any of you here helped people at that time, you would know how much that water and that mud absolutely stunk. Anything that that water touched, it was just ruined and we threw it out. Um, I know even if it, you know, people went to hospital because the water was so filthy that if they had a cut on their leg or something like that, I uh, could get infected. And I know even then Prime Minister at the time, Kevin Rudd, ended up in hospital uh, because of the, you know, the water touching the cut and he got infected. Uh, that water obviously was so high that it wiped out most of our garden. And it was completely gross. Uh, The clothes and the shoes that I wore when we emptied our house, no amount of washing was going to get the stink out. Uh, I had to actually just, you know, just permanently throw those things away because it was so gross. So our house was completely enveloped by this, you know, rotten, filthy, stinking water. And so was my yard and much of it was wiped out. Um, Before the flood, we had a lemon tree and I don't even want to call it a lemon tree. prefer to call it a lemon shrub. Uh, you know, it was about this high, hardly had any lemons on it. And you'd look at it and think, mate, this thing's pathetic. Uh, you know, it would never produce any lemons. There was times I would feel like Jesus with the fig tree, you know. Uh, Grow lemons or die, you know. And, uh, and you know, it was just, it was just pathetic. And um, anyway, that lemon tree was completely enveloped by the water. Completely enveloped. Um, We were out of our house for about 11 months. For the first six months, I didn't venture into the backyard. Um, Our focus was on rebuilding our house. We weren't too worried about our yard. Our grass was growing long, uh, but I didn't want to mow it uh, because I knew there'd be snakes there. So uh, I organised for an intern to go do it. And, um, you know, which was really cool. And um, and so I spent... Spend virtually no time uh, in our yard. Uh, about six months uh, after the flood, uh, Trisha and I are on the back porch upstairs 
and going in the back door and renovations had begun on our house. And Trish says to me, she goes, Ben, look at the lemon tree. I turn around. The lemon tree had doubled in size and was pumping out the biggest, fattest, juiciest lemons you've ever seen in your life. And I thought, how did that happen? And then I realised, oh, that water, that rotten, filthy, stinking water that destroyed everything for that lemon tree was actually fertiliser. And the very thing it needed to fulfil its potential. The word of the Lord of somebody here is this. All the filth you're going through is nothing but fertiliser to get you ready for the great thing that God's got for you. Amen? It's not fatal. It's not really death. It's just a shadow. Amen? And the last thing is this. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a ravine. It's lonely. If you've ever been through a valley, you know that it's like people don't get what I'm going through right now. They don't really understand. I know there's been times I've been with people who are going through a valley and I thought, I actually don't understand this. There's no real way I could possibly identify with what they're going through. That when you're trying to comfort someone, it's almost like you feel like you're just standing at the top of the ridge saying, come on, just keep going. Keep going. You've got to do this for yourself. You've got to come out the other side. So when you're in a valley, it's a lonely place. But the fourth thing you'll need to... And it feels like you've got no friends. But the fourth thing you've got to remember is this. I'm not friendless. Because there is someone who's with me who'll never leave me or forsake me. There is someone who's going to stick closer than a brother. And that is the Lord himself. And the thing we need to remember is this. See, the temptation is, if you're in a valley, the temptation is that you want to blame God. I was following you, I ended up here. How did this happen? That's the temptation. But you've got to say to yourself, no, 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 I'm not going to turn away from him. I'm going to turn to him. Because he's the one who led me here, but he's the one who can lead me out the other side. And the place where some people drop off in their walk is that point where they're going through a tough time and they say, well, I'm not following God anymore. And they end up going around the mulberry bush the rest of their life. The strength is I need to learn that I've got to hang on to him in the midst of this and turn to him. Many years ago here in Brisbane, there's a family um, over Carindale Way, pastor of church over there. And it's like the senior pastors were a married couple, obviously. Um, the assistant pastor was their daughter and the youth pastor was their son. And about 11 years ago, their son had gotten married and, and, and um, you know, just very recently. One morning he wakes up in bed 
Next to him is his wife. She would have been in her early 20s. Wakes up next to her. She's convulsing in bed. So he calls the ambulance. Ambulance comes. She's dead on arrival at the hospital. And they did not know um, what the real cause was. Obviously, it throws him and his family into turmoil. That day, they've got to deal with everything they've got to deal with. And then that night, he goes back home. Goes back to his bed. The night before, he went to bed with his new wife, his recent bride. Wakes up. I mean, next night, she's not here anymore. You can imagine the thoughts going around in his head. Why me? Why'd you let this happen to me, Lord? He was mature enough to understand that he can't stay in that place. That if he keeps thinking that way, it's going to take him on a trajectory he doesn't want to go on. So he was also worship pastor at the church and called a mate and he went over to church that night, turned on the lights and got on stage and started playing on the keyboard and just started worshipping God. And he said that it was the presence of God came in so strong and, and all the Lord said to him was, I'm your comfort. I'm your comfort. And he learnt that in that time to stay in God's presence. And eventually he came out the other side, married a beautiful girl and then uh, was, became a youth pastor of one of the largest churches in Australia and now he's planted a church in Asia and God is doing great things in and through his life. But he learnt that in that time, at the bottom of that valley, he had a decision to make. Am I going to turn to the Lord? Or am I going to turn away from him? Am I going to hang on? Or am I going to go my own way? I love the story of Job. And in the story of Job, he learnt that in the midst of it, he didn't understand what was going on. But he made a number of phrases in the midst of his difficulty to t- stop him from going off in the wrong trajectory. He'd say things like, this I know, my Redeemer lives, even though at that time he felt like he was dying. He'd say things like, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. In the midst of his difficult time, he learnt that I've just got to continue on. Eventually I will come out the other side. I, a number of years ago, um, we went through a time where it was like, probably for about four or five years, it seemed like everything was going wrong. It was like before that, everything would go right. And for a few years, it felt like everything was going wrong. And I remember the first major disappointment I had. I, it was a major disappointment. And, and it, it was like one of those disappointments that kicks you in the guts. And I remember I just, you dwell on it and you gather yourself up and you go again. And, and then a little while later, you get another disappointment, which was like a kick in the guts. And so what I would do is, I would dwell on that disappointment, but then I'd remember the other one and I'd dwell on that again. It was almost like I was carrying a backpack around with me and putting all these disappointments in my backpack and occasionally looking at them. And then a little while later, another disappointment would come and so I'd, I'd dwell on that one, I'd get the other ones out and I'd dwell on those. And then I would not let them go. And the reason why I wouldn't let them go was because I thought, God... You have to tell me why I'm going through this. There's got to be some kind of reason. And, and, and I'm not going to let this go till you explain to me 
why I went through what I went through. After that period of time, um, and that culminated in the Brisbane floods, 2011. January 2012, I'm at a conference. And I was mulling again about why I was going, had been going through what I'd went through. And at, at the start of the, and in that conference, I remember in one of the sessions, and in the back of my mind, I was like, why, why, why? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as a bell. And he said, I'm not going to tell you. He said, you don't need to know. He said, I'm the Lord. I remember the story of Job. We know why Job suffered. Bible tells us that Job suffered because the devil sought permission to test him. But Job was never told that. Job got everything restored to him, but in the midst of it, he lost his children. And then he got another, I think, 10 children after that. But who knows that getting new children doesn't really replace the old ones you lost. I can imagine every year catching up with his children, sitting around, grandchildren, but somewhere in the back of his heart wondering, why did I lose the other ones? And, you know, the Bible, t- the Bible indicates that God never actually told Job why he went through what he went through. And Job went to his grave with unanswered questions. God is not going to answer every question that we have. He is not. There's not he is not going to make sense for us of everything that we've been through. That is why we need to walk by faith and not by sight. And there comes a time in our life, and I remember at that time I said, you know what, Lord? I don't need to know. You're the boss, so I'm going to let it go. And before I embarked on my new season of itinerant ministry, I had to decide I'm not going to hold on to that anymore. I'm just going to bin it and shred it. And maybe that's where you're at right now, that you, you cannot change season because you're hanging on to the questions of the past. And maybe today you're willing to lay it down and say, you know what, Lord, I don't need to know. You're the Lord. I'm just going to keep on walking and serving and following you. And so maybe here you're in the midst of a valley right now. I would say not because of a word of knowledge, but simply because of a statistical fact. The reality is there is probably a couple of people here going through a valley that you did not ask for and that you did not make happen, but it happened to you. And maybe there's some people here and you, on a regular basis, mull over the disappointments of the past, unable to let them go. But you need to understand in order to move forward, you actually have to let those things go. You can't. Ha- the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, forgetting what is behind and straining towards that which is ahead. I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can't press on and still keep focused on the things of the past. And maybe that's what you need to do today. So can I just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads? And maybe you're in this place and first of all, you're actually in the midst of a valley right now. You're in the midst of a tough time. The New Testament calls them trials and tribulations that are occasional things that we happen. It's not our whole life, but occasionally we find ourselves in the midst of them. And maybe you're here 
and you're saying, that's me right now. I'm in the midst of a trial right now and my strength is starting to wane. If that is you right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me. This morning, I'm in the midst of a valley right now and finding it hard to keep on walking. I need the strength of God. And Awesome. Number of hands there. Number of hands there. God's going to give you the strength you need to come out the other side. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Secondly, maybe you're here and you're saying, Ben, that's me. I I haven't been able to move on because I've kept asking God why. Because I thought he has to eventually tell me. But he's the Lord. He's the boss. He doesn't have to. And sometimes we get stuck in the past because we feel like we're almost in a standoff with the Lord. If you're in this place today and you're saying, that's me, there's questions from my past that I'm deciding to let go of today and just move on. If that is you right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me. There's some questions that I have and I'm going to let them go. I'm moving on with my life today. Awesome. Could you open your eyes, church? If you put your hand up and there was a number of you for those two things, right where you are, could you just stand to your feet? Lift your hands to heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these people right now. And I just ask and pray for your strength. I ask and pray for a new joy. I ask and pray for hope to rise in their heart. I pray, Lord, for those who are in the midst of a valley right now and just need your strength. I just pray for your help for them, Lord, to keep on walking. Help them to walk by faith and not by sight. Keep on moving forward because eventually they're going to come out the other side. I thank you that already today you filled them with encouragement. I thank you that already today you filled them with the spirit of an overcomer. And I pray, Lord, that you help them to keep on moving, to keep on going forward. I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. And secondly, I pray for those, Lord God, who today have decided to let it go, to let go the unanswered questions, to lay it down. I thank you, Lord God, that it may not make sense this side of eternity. But that's okay, Lord, because we still have a destiny for you to fulfill. So I pray, Father, right now in Jesus' name, that you would give them the grace they need to lay those things down right now. I thank and I praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you with your hands raised, I really would love you to come out the front because I want to pray for you. And uh, Brad and Sarah and Greg and Julie and whoever can pray for them too. I feel the anointing in this place. And God's going to lift off the residue of your past season to enable you to walk into the next season. So those of you that are standing, that put your hands up, I want you to come out the front and we're going to pray. And the pastoral team is going to pray. And Trisha, you pray as well. And we're going to pray for the Spirit of God to come and wash off the past and get you ready for the new. Thank you, Lord. What a great way to end that message for ministry at the end. I'm going to ask everyone in the auditorium to stand. Even if you're not at the front, we're going to come into a time of worship as there's ministry at the front. And even during a time of worship, if you feel to receive ministry, you can come to the front and the people here at the front can minister and pray for you. But you know, as we read again that scripture, just as we, as we have the worship team prepare that song, it says in Psalm 23 where Pastor Ben was preaching from, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
For you are with me, your rod and your staff come for me. Father, we thank you, Lord, right now as we end this service. We thank you, Lord, that there'd be a freedom in this place. Holy Spirit, that you administer strength. You administer strength. You administer faith. You administer faith to people. I'm going to ask everyone in this place, don't let this moment pass you by. Interact with the Lord. Interact with God, with God on the Most High. Encounter God this morning. Allow that word to activate your faith this morning. Father, we worship you. We praise you as we celebrate this word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just close your eyes as you stay standing. I just feel the Lord's just finishing this moment, this time of Him just moving and touching our lives. You know, there's the powerful anointing down the front here. I think it's just all through the building, not just down the front. Let's read this again, Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, through, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Hearing God say this, my character is perfect. I am reliable, says Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Church, God is reliable. You can rely on Him. But watch this. He is reliable for a very specific reason. Because you and I, whether we like it or not, we're designed to rely on the reliable God. In our imperfection, we can rely on His perfection. On our lack, we can rely on His provision. On our weakness, we can rely on His strength. I'm hearing God saying, I'm breaking some self-reliance here today. I'm breaking self-reliance. I'm shattering self-reliance in a fresh way today. And God says, I'm releasing a brand new fresh wind in your heart. When today you make the fresh decision and encouragement from this word to put your reliance on the reliable God. To not put your reliance into the unreliableness of man. To not put your reliance in the unreliableness of this world. But to put your reliance in the reliable God. So Father, I thank you, Lord. How freeing it is to know that we're not designed to try to do it in our own strength. We can put our trust in you. I thank you, Lord, for a fresh release of freedom in this place. Lord, we're not going to forget that you're calling us to keep coming back, to keep coming back, to keep coming back to you. Lord, we're not going to be ashamed or even surprised when we feel tired or weary because, God, we want to keep coming back to you as our strength. We want to keep coming back to you who will fill us up. We want to keep coming back to you, God. There's no shame in that, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In our weakness, you are strong. Beautiful God. Father, I thank you, Lord, that this is a season of provision and promotion. I thank you, Lord, that you are releasing your promises. And I thank you, Lord, that it all starts with us keep coming back to you. Beautiful God, we just honor you and we bless you today, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.